0: Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations, and our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We are continuing in our series right now called The Book of Acts, and The Book of Acts series is really talking about the history of the origins of the church. And I'm using that word origin because I love, I love like origin movies. I love prequel movies. You know how, remember Star Wars? How when like in the 70s, for those of you who were alive back then, or you're still alive now, but. We're also alive. Then, how, Remember that the, they had the whole Star Wars trilogy, and you're like, this is great, and then in the 90s, they come out with the prequel, and it gave you insight into what the story was actually about. Some of you are X-Men fans, and you remember watching X-Men origin films, and all of those things, and what are those prequels? What, what do they do? They give you the, they fill in the blanks and the details for the current story, They take you to the origin, the the origination of the story so that you can understand and have the context of what you are actually seeing today. That's what we're doing in the Book of Acts series. We're going back to the origin, the very beginning of the church. This is the prequel series for us and who we are today, how we're supposed to be as Christians, the church, the body of Christ, how we're supposed to operate as the body of Christ. That's what this whole series is about. And hopefully as you go through this series with me, you're, hopefully you're learning a lot. Hopefully God is speaking to you in your own personal life. But I hope you have those moments of, ah, that's why. Oh, that's what happened. Now I understand. And so hopefully there are those aha moments. And so the last time we were together, we were talking about the life of the Apostle Paul. Or in this context, Saul of Tarsus, the man named Saul of Tarsus, who was immediately born again and immediately started preaching the gospel and also immediately began being persecuted. And so we got to look at that story of how God just knocked him to the ground and he saw Jesus and heard the voice of God and God literally transformed his life. And he surrendered to Jesus as Lord of his life and became one of the greatest figures in the church history. Now, Saul of Tarsus, in the future of the book of Acts, will become the key figure in the book of Acts. He will become the lead figure, the lead person in the book of Acts. But this week, it kind of takes a a step back. It's it's introduced Saul to you. It's told you Saul's conversion story. But now it goes back to another key figure in in the book of Acts. The person that was really the lead figure in the first half of the book of Acts, he kind of went away for a chapter or two, but now he comes right back. And the Bible talks about this man named Peter. Now, if you remember, Peter preached the, the first message of the church on the day of Pentecost, He was also the one who preached in the temple when he healed the lame man through the power of Jesus, healed the lame man, and he preached, and many thousands of people got born again. So Peter was a key figure in the church. Now, some people even believe that that Peter was the first pope. Now, let me explain that to you. There's one problem with that. There was no such thing as a pope back then. So he was not the first pope, and as a matter of fact, many scholars actually believe that he was not even the leader of the church. They believe that James, the brother of Jesus, was the actual leader of the church at that time. But nonetheless, Peter was this, this hugely massive figure in the body of Christ and going about doing many miracles and signs and wonders and, and bringing people. Some call him the apostle to the Jews. So let's go back to our story as we look at the life of Peter. And I hope today you see yourself in Peter's story, because Peter was a man who was really right or really wrong. There was no ambiguity with Peter. Peter was one of those, what you see is what you get kind of people. How many of you know people like that? How many of you are people like that? Normally, when you are people like that, you are very proud of that, yes, that's how I am. Even when you are massively wrong, yes, that's what I believe. That's how Peter was. And again, hopefully you see yourself in this story because Peter was a man in process. Acts chapter nine, verse 32. We're gonna finish out the book of, uh, of the, excuse me, the chapter nine quickly so we can dive into chapter 10. But the end of chapter nine says this, meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place and he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydda. There was excuse me there he met a man named An- Ananias Ananias who had been paralyzed and bedridden for 8 years Peter said to him Ananias Jesus Christ heals you get up and roll up your sleeping mat and he was healed instantly then the whole population of Lida and Sharon saw Ananias walking around and they turned to the Lord Now Again, Peter's this key figure, and this key figure, this this leader in the church is traveling about and he's preaching the gospel. Now, if you notice, he left Jerusalem, and we talked about this a few weeks back where persecution hit the church and many of the believers left Jerusalem because there was such persecution happening in Jerusalem that was led by, believe it or not, Saul of Tarsus right before he was transformed by Jesus. So the Apostle Paul was the one leading the persecution against the Christians in Jerusalem. So they spread all except the apostles. But here we see the apostles, even the Apostle Peter, getting out of Jerusalem and going about traveling and preaching to those who weren't in Jerusalem. Now he was still preaching to Jewish people. He'd gone with Philip and preached to the Samaritans, but he was primarily preaching to the Jewish people. And he says something when he heals this man, um, Ananias. Something interesting, and I want you to just hold that place. I want you to remember that. He says to him, Anias, Jesus Christ heals you. Then he says, get up and roll up your sleeping mat. Remember that phrase, get up. And roll up your sleeping man. Let's go to verse 36. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. Now, let's stop there. We talked about this again with Saul and Paul. That so, so Tabitha was this woman's Hebrew or Aramaic name. Her Greek name was Dorcas. I don't know about you, but I would be very happy to be called Tabitha. When they were writing this, I would go, hey, Tabitha is fine. But they mean the same thing. These names mean gazelle. It means gazelle. In, in Hebrew, it's Tabitha. In, in Greek, excuse me, it's Dorcas. And so, but something horrible happens to this amazing woman. And the Bible tells us she was a woman who was always doing kind things. She was always helping the poor, just the kind of woman that you want to be around because she's got just a compassionate heart, a heart to help people, a heart to help the poor. Something tragic happens to her in verse 37. About this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby in Lydda so they sent two men to beg him please come as soon as possible So Peter returned with them and as soon as he arrived they took him to the upstairs room The room and the woman excuse me the room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other coats Dorcas or Tabitha had made for them some believe that these widows, when Peter showed up, were actually showing him the clothes that they were wearing that this woman had made for them. Meaning and signifying she cared for the poor. She provided for them, even down to the very clothes that they wore. So this was a good woman. This was a noble woman. This was a Christian woman. Yet she dies. And the way this looks, it's almost as if it happened pretty suddenly. She quickly became ill and quickly died. Now the believers there had heard that Peter wasn't too far away. So they said, let's get Peter, go call the man of God to come and pray for her. And that's what they did. So verse 39, but Peter asked them, To leave the room. We're skipping now. I'm sorry. Let me go to verse 39. Yeah. So Peter returned with them. And as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room. That sounds familiar. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. Then he knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. Now, if there's something that sounds familiar about these two stories, it should. Because in these two stories, we see Peter doing almost exactly what he saw Jesus do. He did almost exactly and said almost exactly the same thing that he saw Jesus do. What am I talking about? I'm not gonna go there for the sake of time, but in John chapter five, when Jesus was at the pool of Bethesda, the pool that if you remember where the, 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 they, the lame people would lay by the pool in hopes that when the angel would come and he would stir the water and they the first one that would get into the water would be healed, remember that story. Well, Jesus walked up to a lame man, and he told the lame man, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Very similar to what Peter said to Ananias. But then in Mark chapter 5, Jesus went to the house of a man named J- Jarius. And when he was at Jarius's house, if you remember, he kicked everybody out because they laughed at him when he said that the girl was only sleeping. So he kicked them all out of the room and listen to what he said to the little girl when he healed her. Talitha kumi. Talitha kumi, which means little girl get up. So Jesus says Talitha kumi. Peter says Tabitha kumi. What's the point in all of this? Peter did what Jesus modeled. Yes, Peter was led by the Spirit. Yes, the Spirit of God directed Peter in what to do, but the Spirit of God led him to do what he saw Jesus do. The Spirit of God is only going to lead you to do what Jesus has already done because he wants us to be like Jesus. But another important principle in this is that's why discipleship is so important. That's why having someone who's walking with you, discipling you, showing you how to follow Jesus is so important because it's easier to do what you've seen modeled. It's so much easier to treat your wife the right way when you've followed someone who you've watched treat their wife the right way. It's true. Parents, You understand this principle very well, because as you know, your kids don't do what you say, they do what you do. Your children follow what you model for them. You can tell them everything that's right to do, but they are going to do what they have watched modeled for them. In the life of a believer, that's why it's so important for us to do what has been modeled for us. But you've got to put yourself in a position that you're around people that you go, I want want that. I see Jesus in them, and that's what I need in my life. That's why we talk about small groups. That's why we talk about getting around believers. That's why we talk about goal book. What are are we talking about when we say all of that? The most important thing is not that stuff. It's that you're getting in a relationship with someone can disciple you. Someone can model for you how to follow Jesus because someone has modeled it for them. And I love the way Paul says it later in the Bible. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's why it's so important. Peter did what he saw Jesus model. And I've said this many times before, but what Jesus modeled, Jesus meant That means that what Jesus did, he intended for us to do. And that's what Peter did. Now, discipleship is not like a cool buzzword. It's not the cool church strategy of how to grow your church in three easy steps. But it's Jesus' master plan to change the world. Disciple by disciple by disciple, doing what Jesus has modeled. Because that's what he meant for us to do. Now, just as a side note, if you're, even if you're, if you're in a discipleship relationship, let me encourage you with something. We imitate the Jesus we see in them. We don't always imitate them. That's important for you to know. Because you can get around people and start taking on their mannerisms and I'm supposed to be them. You're not following them. You're following them as they follow Jesus. So that means that if, if you see something in their life, even people you, we admire, people that we highly respect, if we see something in their life that is not a reflection of Jesus, we don't follow that. Because our ultimate goal is to be like him. That's another thing. Our goal is not to be the best us. Like, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with bettering yourself and even self-help and self and like motivational. And those are all, those are good things in the right context. But let me be very clear, biblically speaking, the goal is not to be the best you. The goal is to be like Jesus. Because even the best you pales in comparison to being like him. And, and yes, God is refining us, and, he's, and I understand to some degree what we're saying when we, when we say those things, but there's still something selfish about, I'm trying to be the best me. And selfishness is really anti-God. The worship of self is the exact opposite of the worship of God, because sometimes you're, this is right for me, but it's not what God wants you to do. This helps me be a better me. But God didn't ask you to be a better you. He asked you to take up your cross and follow him. That's what God wants for us. Let's get back to the story because we got a lot more to cover. All right. Acts chapter 9, verse 42. The news spread throughout the whole town and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed a long time in Joppa living with Simon, a tanner of hides. Now, this happens and people, of course, start believing because they see the power of God. And Peter is giving all the glory and the credit where he's putting it where it belongs, into Jesus. He's giving it to Jesus. So Peter stays there in this town, this, this incredible man, this great man of faith. He stays with, the Bible says, Simon, a tanner. Now, what's significant about that? Why would the Bible even give us that? It doesn't always tell us where the apostles stayed. It doesn't always tell us whose house they were living in, so why would it tell us that now? Well, Simon the tanner, a tanner, was not the people who go to Destin often. A tanner was, I know it was cheesy, but I just wanted to fit it in anyway. But a tanner was basically a leather worker. It was someone who tanned hides. It was someone who, who they helped get leather right so that people could make bags or make whatever it is, coverings or whatever they use leather for in that day. But a tanner was considered an unclean profession. So for the Jewish person, a tanner was an unclean job because they were constantly around things that would make them unclean, blood of animals, guts, all of those different things, and sometimes maybe even unclean stuff. And so because of that, they were. this was considered an unclean profession. Nonetheless, the Bible tells us that Simon Peter stayed there for a long time with this unclean man. Now, what was happening, I believe God was preparing him and getting ready to blow his mind and open up his mind in a way that he did not see it coming. In this next chapter, chapter 10, Peter, this great man of faith, he's not going to look as great as he just looked. In the previous chapter, he's following Jesus. He's following the model that Jesus laid out for him, and he looks like the man. But in this next chapter, he doesn't look like the man. Because, as I mentioned before, he's still in process. The same way that all of you are still in process. The same way that me and our other pastors are still in process. We are all still in process to become more like Christ. To become more like Jesus. And here's this great figure in the Bible who, he just, you just get to see him raw. You get to see him not Perfect. The thing about the Bible is this is brutally honest. The Bible doesn't cover faults. The Bible doesn't say, David, this great man, yes, he was a man after God's own heart, but he was also an adulterer and a murderer, and and he disobeyed God. He did that, yep. Peter, the great man who preached the the gospel, the, the first gospel message, and walked around healing the sick, yep, he was also full of bigotry and prejudice, and at times said the dumbest things possible. Yet God used him. Yet God used him. Pastor, I don't know if God can use me. I'm not perfect. Join the club! Join the club! Let's keep going. Before we get into this, let me just say this. The title of my message this morning is A New Horizon. A new horizon. And the the reason why I call it the New Horizon is because you're getting you're getting ready to see a brand new horizon for the church. It's getting ready to open up in an incredible way that they did not see coming. But a new horizon can't begin until a mindset changes. You can't have a new horizon until God changes the way that you think. When you have a mindset change, you can change the way that you live. The Bible says to be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Some of you, your souls are saved, your souls are changed, they are heaven-bound, but your mind is still so trapped by the way that you have known life to be, the way you've seen life to be, and by the strongholds that the enemy has left in your mind. And God wants to set us free by renewing the way that we think. There are old school patterns of thinking in our minds through different experiences, and through different things that people have told us in formative years of our life, that God wants to come and break those things so that we can see his word clearly for what it is and what his plan for our lives are. We're going to see that in the story. It's good. God challenges Peter in a way that he did not see coming, but a way that nonetheless all of us should be extremely grateful for. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. Now, this translation says he was a captain, but other translations say that he was a centurion, If you remember, some of you have seen movie, Roman movies, and they have these centurions. Well, a centurion was basically someone who oversaw a century. Not meaning the years, but a century means a hundred. So a centurion was someone who oversaw anyway from 80 to 100 Roman soldiers. That was his job. He oversaw these these Roman soldiers, 80 to 100 of them. That was his role. But the Bible also says that he was a god man. Now, can I just give you another side note? I have, I have a bunch of them today. This man's name was Cornelius. And I found this out later on in life that my mom almost named me Cornelius. I am so grateful to my dad. Who stepped in and brought some wisdom to the situation. I said, baby, if you name him Cornelius, he's going to be called corny all the days of his life. So my mom listened to my dad's wisdom and praise God, Gabriel came about. All right. But Cornelius was a God-fearing man. Now, when we hear this, or we read this, we, again, we contextualize it based off of what we know about that term, God-fearing man. But in this day, that came with a different meaning, a different connotation. When you said God-fearing man in this day, they let me explain this. There were the Jewish people who were God's chosen people, the covenant people, right? They lived, they were spread all over the world at this time, but primarily they had the temple where they worshiped God, and if you weren't a Jewish person, you were a Gentile, meaning you were not in the covenant of Abraham. You, were, you didn't come from the line of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and really Jacob, Israel is where they got their name from. If you were not an Israelite or a Jewish person, you were a Gentile. Now, there were Gentiles, there were Jews, but then there were these, these almost ambiguous kind of people somewhere in the middle. You had proselytes. Proselytes were people who were not born Jews. They were not Jewish by by bloodline. But they chose to become like the Jewish people. Meaning that they would go to the temple, they would worship, they chose to believe. Instead of believing in many gods, they believed there was one God and that the Jewish God was that God. And they went all in on becoming Jews. Down to even being circumcised. Now, when you were a Jewish young man, you were circumcised as a baby. But when you became a proselyte, didn't matter how old you were, you had to be circumcised. And every man said, ouch. So they would go all in and live as a Jew. That was called a proselyte, which is where we we get the word um, proselytize. Right? You can't proselytize in there, meaning taking someone, converting them. So you had these proselytes, but then you had what was called God-fearers. And these God-fearers were people who were Gentiles, who basically said, "I, I recognize that there's only one God. And he's the God that the Jews serve. But I'm not going all in like those proselytites. That hurts too bad. But I recognize that this God is God. Now, these these God-fearers, they could go to synagogues, but they couldn't go to the temple. So there was this this block between them and really, and the Jewish people kind of treated them like, uh, like you're, uh, not really. You're not really one of us. You're not willing to have, to be circumcised, so we'll respect you. Thank you for fearing our God. But this man, Cornelius, was a very devout, God-fearing man. And he was devoted to God. And this whole issue of circumcision is going to come up a whole lot more in the Bible later on. It became a big struggle and a big tension. But nonetheless, this is where we see this man, Cornelius. Verse 3. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, Cornelius... He had a vision in which he saw an angel, God, excuse me, an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel and the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. Now notice Cornelius, this great great Roman warrior with 80 to 100 men at his command at any time. He encounters this angel, has this experience with this angel, and he is scared to death. Angels are not fat, naked babies with wings. (laughs) If you see an angel, you are going to be terrified This man, this man of war, counters, has this experience with this angel and he's terrified and he says, What do you want me to do, sir? That's what happens. But then, based off of what this angel says, the angel tells him about Simon Peter. And he tells him that Peter has a message for him that he needs to hear. He also hears how God recognizes what he's been doing and how he's given to the poor and it's been an offering to God. And now God wants to bring his message to Cornelius. Cornelius does not know what this message is. All he knows is the angel says go and get Peter. Now based off of what this angel says, he sends his men from Caesarea to Joppa to get Peter, which is 33 miles. They didn't have cars. They had to get on a horse or a camel or a donkey or walk 33 miles to go and get this man who they, based off of the word of this angel, was going to go to this house they didn't know, ask for this man they didn't know existed, and then bring him back to them. That took faith. That was his response to the word of God. Now, I want you to see this as well. God is setting this thing up. But here's the question. Why didn't God, who had Cornelius' attention with this angel, why didn't God have the angel preach to him? Why didn't he, why did he have to go through the whole process of going to get Peter and Peter coming and Peter talking to him? Why did he do that? I'll tell you why. Because angels aren't called to preach the gospel. That's our job. That's our responsibility. God has given his people, human beings that belong to him, that are born again, the ministry of reconciliation, going out and reconciling the world to himself. That is my call, and that is your call. We are called to bring this gospel, to bring this message. And you know what? There's a quote out there that... Is often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, and, and some of you have heard this quote many times. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Here's the problem. He never said that. That's not what he said. That is a misquote on something that he actually said. Why am I I belittling that quote? Because it does something to us. And it makes us think that all we have to do is live a noble life. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, how can they hear without a preacher? We are not only called to live it in front of the world, we are called to tell the world. We are charged by God and given the responsibility by God to open up our mouths and let people hear about the God that changed our lives. And I know for some of you, you go, that's what I'm talking about. And I know for others, you go, that's scary. I don't know if I can do that. In your flesh, you can. not But with the power of the Holy Spirit and God inside of you, you definitely can. You definitely can. God doesn't call us to do things he doesn't equip us to do. He doesn't tell us to do things that he won't give us the power and the grace to do. We're called to be witnesses, and God uses us to do this. So anyway, let's get back to Peter. This, this, again, great man with these prejudices in his life. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were near nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet was all sort of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. And right then and there the first gumbo was made. <laughs> Don't you start calling me Cornelius. I'm being I'm telling you, you'll be kicked out of this church. Oh my God. But he shows them God shows Peter all of these things that he is not supposed to eat as a Jewish man. As a good Jewish boy, you were taught, you don't eat reptiles. You don't eat those kinds of things. We don't eat that. There were things that were ceremonially unclean for Peter to eat. I don't know if you notice know or not, but if you go back and read there, you couldn't have catfish as a Jewish boy. You couldn't have crawfish and crabs as a Jewish young man. You couldn't have pork as a young man. So, in other words, there were no Jewish Cajuns. Frog legs, uh-uh. Boudin, nope. Crawfish ball, not happening. He was not allowed to have any of those things, but yet God gives him this vision, and it comes down, and he sees this. Now what's amazing is that God used his circumstance. One, he's at the house of an unclean man and he's hungry, getting ready to eat and God takes his circumstance to show him something. God will take the circumstances in your life to reveal something to you. God does not always speak through this divine voice that comes to you in your prayer times. Sometimes he speaks in the circumstances of your life. That's what he did in Peter's life. Now, Granted, it was with a vision, but he used all of the circumstances surrounding him. Verse 14, this is Peter's response. When he sees this sheet come down and he hears the voice of God, I love Peter, constantly putting his foot in his mouth. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish law has declared impure or unclean. Jesus, nope. I'm righteous. I'm not doing that. Not getting one over on me this time, Jesus. mm -mm. This is the same Peter who opened up his mouth when Jesus said, this very night you're going to betray me. Jesus, all of them are going to betray you, but I never will. And Peter has to tell him, after the rooster crows three times, you're going to remember this when you've denied me. So here he is again saying, no, Lord, which just that word, just just those two words together, it's like jumbo shrimp, it's an oxymoron. It's an oxymoron, no, Lord. You're Lord of everything in my life, but I'm not doing that. It's an oxymoron because if Jesus is the Lord of your life, the answer is always yes. It's always yes, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do, how do you want me to do it? His response is, nope, showing, indicating this is an area in his life that he has to make Jesus Lord of. He has to invite Jesus to become the Lord of this area of his life. All of you, all of us have these areas that when Jesus steps in, we have to make the decision to yield to him. See, when you pray to get born again, we say, Lord, come and be the Lord of my life. And generally speaking, that happens. But he takes us at his word, and he starts to inch his way into those sensitive areas that we don't want him in. I want you to give up this relationship. Ah, Jesus, nope. I want you to stop that drinking habit. Ah, nope. I want you to get away from these people who are clearly leading you down. Ah, Jesus, nope. And what he's saying is, am I Lord of that area or not? Am I Lord or not? Peter's response, no, Lord. I'm not willing to do that because these things are unclean. Now, why food? Why did God use food? Because that's one of the thing, major things that separated Jewish people from the Gentiles, which again, Cornelius was a Gentile and God knew what he was getting ready to do. So that he separated because of the dietary things was one of the main reasons. They I don't even know if they could sit down and have a meal together with a Gentile because a Gentile might be eating something in front of them that they could not partake in. So this was separating him. This was God showing him a vision, allowing him to come back and have fellowship with Gentiles. Because what Peter did not know is there were two Gentiles on the way to come and get him as he was having this vision. Verse 15, but the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. It took Peter a lot to get it. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. And even after that, Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men, excuse me, not two, three, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. While Peter was still trying to figure this out, the answer was coming. The answer was coming to knock on his door. Sometimes God is speaking to us, but it's hard for us to see past our preconceived ideas and our preconceived prejudice. So when I say prejudice, I'm not just talking about a racial thing that divides you from another race. Sometimes we have, we have prejudices in our minds about certain types of people, groups of people, the way people live, all of those different things. And we have preconceived notions about things in life that sometimes God has to break the wall down so that we can see the truth for what it is. Because we, all of us have filters. We all have a filter in which we see the world. And let me explain these. These filters are things that your mom said, maybe a previous pastor said, or a priest said to you, maybe things that you've seen growing up, the culture you grew up in have said, that teacher who didn't believe in God that you admired so much said. We all have these lenses in which we see the world. But biblically speaking, a lot of times these things become strongholds in our lives. Strongholds that the enemy uses. What am I talking about? And and some of you will know what I'm talking about. It's called an ungodly belief. An ungodly belief, meaning it's something that we believe even though the Bible says that it's not true. Something that we feel like this is true. It's so ingrained in who we are that we feel like this is our reality. Pastor, I know what the word of God says, but I feel this way. I know what the word of God says, but I was taught this. I know what the Bible says, but my experiences say this. And the enemy will use that to create a stronghold in your life, meaning it's an area in your life that cannot be penetrated by the word of God because you believe that is truth instead of what God says. It's an ungodly belief. It's a stronghold. It's what the enemy uses to keep us deceived. But what's so ironic about this is that we limit the word of God based off of our limited life experience. Some of us have been on this planet for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And this word has eternal. It has lasted the test of time. And even if you're just talking about the New Testament, over 2,000 years of being true and changing lives. And we sometimes have the audacity to say, I'm right, that's wrong. My mama said. My priest said. My pastor said. The Instagram said. This is what the Bible says in Romans 3 let God be true and let every man be a liar. Let God be true in every man alive. Your life circumstances do not dictate God's truth. It doesn't. It. When you don't know who to trust, when you don't know what to believe, and we've, we're still in that season of life. 2020 was that, 2021 similar to that, if not worse in many cases. When you don't know what to believe, you can always trust in this word. It's eternal. It was here before you. It will be here long after you. His word is true. And for some of us, we cannot get to that next horizon, that brand new landscape that God wants to open up in our lives because we're so stuck in our old mindset and pattern and way of life. But God has a new horizon for us if we're willing, if we're willing to believe him over our feelings and the lies of the enemy in our lives. Peter meets these three men sent by Cornelius, and he hears about Cornelius' experience. So these three men stay with Peter, and then the very next day, they go to Caesarea. Verse 24. I'm going to skip around a little bit for the sake of time. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up. I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many other, excuse me, many others were assembled. Now I love this because Cornelius had this message from this angel. And he gathers his friends and his family and he says, y'all have to hear this as well. And I've talked about this a couple weeks ago. When you have a genuine experience with God, it's not something you hide. You want everybody to know it. Because if he can do it for you, he can do it for them. And you want people to have that experience that you've had. And that's what Cornelius did. He said, all right, Peter's coming. Everybody gather together. Come and hear this. Come and hear this. God, God loves people. God loves people and he wants to reach people, even the people that we are uncomfortable with. Even the people that make us a little bit nervous. God can use us to speak truth to them. And there is no one who is too far gone. I've heard testimonies and and even in the past couple weeks of people who were in prison for life for the most atrocious things I'm talking serial killers who were born again in prison and are in heaven right now. God's mercy and God's love is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. The people that he is willing to be merciful and kind to will make you uncomfortable. Now, don't get me wrong. When he's ready to pour out his wrath, he'll make that uncomfortable too. But God is way more gracious and way more merciful than any of us. And he's, just think about this for a moment. The person that we're talking about, this man Cornelius, right now it sounds good because I told you he's a God-fearer, but he was a leader in the Roman army, and the Roman army were the same people who were basically oppressing the Jewish people. This is the equivalent of of Christians in Afghanistan right now watching the Taliban get born again. That's the equivalent of what we're seeing right now. So Peter, another thing I love about this is Peter does not let this man bow down to him. This great man bows down and Peter basically says, "Uh uh-uh, stand up, I'm just a man like you. And I love that because hear me, in Christianity, in the kingdom of God, there are no such things as celebrities. There are no Christian celebrities. We are not celebrities, we are servants. We are servants. I refuse to let anybody bow down to me. I'm just a man. You should refuse to let anyone bow down to you. You're just a person. You're just a person. Now don't get me wrong, there is honor, we show honor to people God has chosen, God put people in our lives, the Bible says show double honor, all of those things are biblical and they're true. But the moment, and I've seen it happen over and over and over and over again, the moment you find a Christian who is God's using them and they start to believe their own press clippings, they're just a moment away from falling. And Peter has the humility to say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm just a man, stand up, stand up. Verse 28, Peter told him, you know, and then he goes right back to being Peter. You know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. Basically, I'm not supposed to be here, but God's making me. Well, I'll, Great, thank you for coming. How would you like that if my wife and I came over to your house and were like, so we know you're a sinner um, and technically we're not supposed to be here. But God made us. (laughs) That's basically what's happening right now. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. This was so ingrained in Peter's thinking. Now Cornelius begins to explain what happened about the angel and everything that happened and how God told him through the angel that Peter has a message to share with him. And Cornelius basically tells him, now now tell us this message that God has given you. And Peter begins to preach the gospel to Cornelius. And he tells them how Jesus came. And how, and, he, and I love this because he, the way he references this, he references it as if, Cornelius, you should know the things that just took place. In other words, this wasn't something quiet that just happened and obscured and nobody knew about. No, no, no. This was a big deal. And all around, people knew about this. All around, people knew about this man named Jesus who was considered the king of the Jews who was now crucified. And many of them thought he was just dead. But Peter came to say to him, he died, but he also rose again from the dead. He is our resurrected Savior. Savior. And he tells them about the amazing things that God did in the death and in the resurrection. And then we get to verse 42 and he says, and he ordered us, speaking about Jesus, to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven, through his name and then the unthinkable happens to peter then the unthinkable happens verse 44 even as peter was saying these things the holy spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message the jewish believers who came with peter were amazed that the gift of the holy spirit had been poured out on the gentiles too for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praised god Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterwards, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. In this one moment, as Peter's preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls on them. And they began to pray in an unknown tongues. They start praying in a heavenly language. And this confirms for Peter, really blows his mind, that now salvation is not just for the Jews. It's not just for the Samaritans. It's not just for the proselytites. Salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ is for Everyone. And in that moment, God changed the entire face of the church. Because we've seen it hinted at coming up to this moment. We saw it hinted at with the Ethiopian eunuch who had just came to worship at the temple. We saw it hinted at with the Samaritans. We saw it hinted at with these little tidbits of people. But now God busts the thing wide open and says, Peter... If you allow me to change your mind and the mindset of the church, I have a brand new horizon for you to preach the gospel. And guess what? It's the whole world. It's the whole world. God shows in that moment he accepts us. Not because we're born into the right family, because we have the right bloodline. He accepts us. Because he loves us, paid the price for us. And if we will make him the Lord of our life, he will not only accept us into his family, but he will fill us with his spirit. That's the new horizon of the church. This morning, I want to pray for you. Because just the same way that God opened the horizon of the church, for some of you, he needs to open up a horizon for you. But your mindset has to change. Some of you are stuck in the way that you think God has to do it or the way that God should do it or or maybe the way that you were taught and maybe God's not even in that. Let the word of God renew your mind. When you open up your Bible, don't open it up assuming you already know what it's saying. Let it say what it needs to say. Let it say what it wants to say. Let it change you instead of you trying to change it. And let the Holy Spirit whisper in your ear things that are confirmed in that word that are his plan for you. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your church. God, all of us, I thank you. You're so merciful. You're so kind. All of us are stuck in Maybe preconceived notions that we have about you or the way that you do things. Or maybe we're stuck in the way that our life is supposed to be because it was always this way or this is the way we were taught or my family does this. This is how we are. We, we do this. This is what we do. This is what I do by my culture. This is what I do. God, I pray that you would devastate and demolish the strongholds of the enemy and the lives and the minds of your people through the power of your truth. Help us see things the way that you see them. Help us see people the way you see them. Help us not look at a person and see the outside, but help us see them through the lens of how you see them, which is unfiltered. Your love, your compassion, but even your truth. Thank you for the new horizon in our lives. If you're here this morning with your eyes closed and your head's bowed, you say, Pastor, I need that new horizon. I need a new beginning. I need a fresh start. And I can't even begin that process because I'm not born again. I don't know, Jesus. I'm not saved. If I died today, I don't know where I would go. Jesus came to solidify that in our lives. And he told a religious ruler, a man who should have known better, he said, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. Unless you're first born again. He didn't say you have to go to church. He didn't say you have to go through this religious process. He didn't say you have to go through catechism or growth track. He said, you have to be born again in order to see my kingdom. And that kingdom begins here on earth and lasts into eternity. And the process of doing this is very simple. It's as easy as A-B-C. A, you admit that you're a sinner, that there's sin in your life that separates you from a holy God and you know it and maybe God's been convicting you of it even today. It's time to let it go. It's time to turn that over to him and be, believe, believe what? That the solution to that sin was the bloodshed on the cross. When Jesus died for that sin. And see, you confess that he is now the Lord of your life. Meaning you are bowing your knee and he's in control. So with no one looking around, if that's you, I want to pray for you. On the count of three, I'm ask you to lift up your hand if you say, I want to make that decision today, Pastor. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life, and I want to be born again, knowing my sins are forgiven, that I'm right with God. The only thing I'm going to ask you to do is to lift up your hand so I can acknowledge who I'm praying with on the count of three. One, two, three. If that's you, lift up your hand. If you say, Pastor, that's me. Thank you. i see your hand. Anyone else? Say, this is my moment, Pastor. I want to be born again. Thank you. him down. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud with those who lifted their hands. Say this with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead. To give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. I turn away from my sin to follow you. From this moment on, God, you are my Father. Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen.